Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to DraftKings Network. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I f***ing love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that boost next. Big jab there from Duffy and Frank Mir is hurt now. They're a couple of absolutely self-involved bullshit Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Headshot! Bang! Done! All right, good to be with you. Monday, April 17th, 2023, episode 404 of the Anik and Florian podcast. Ken Flo is back on the East Coast. A lot of travel. Now, you don't do the PFL Europe, is that right? I do not. I meant that was, that was my week off, but it was like eight weeks of Challenger Series, had like a week off, and then it was like three consecutive weeks of uh, the regular season. So so you don't yeah. want to hear any complaining from these UFC commentators, nor does Sean O'Connell. So will you do UFC, or excuse me, PFL Europe in the future, or is that like a no. different analyst? I So basically, I think that it's a different analyst. You know, they're using a, a, a European I uh, analyst, I believe, yes. A little too expensive to get Ken Flo overseas, I understand. <laughs> yes. I understand. Uh, we have a lot to get to today. Big PFL 3 event at Virgin Hotels in Vegas. Of course, UFC Fight Night in Kansas City. But I want to begin with the PFL and the PFL debut for uh, Hurricane Shane Burgos does not go according to plan. Olivier Aubame-Mercier, I mean the Canadian gangster, just taken over since leaving the UFC. <laughs> I know that was not the main event. Uh, it looks like Natan Schulte and Stevie Ray was the main event. And it looked like you guys went main card before the prelims. Is that what happened? So it, <laughs> this is why it's so confusing. It was the last fight. Here's the thing. The last fight, you are correct, was Natan Schultz and Stevie Ray. But the main event was Burgos uh, and Olivier. Uh, we, we basically had extra time because there were a ton of first round finishes. So we kind of threw in. We threw in Natan Shelton, Stevie Ray there as one extra bonus. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, pretty pr- pretty good event. Man. Seems like a lot of finishes, a lot of first round finishes on the main card, but then it seems like maybe a lot of decisions on the prelims on that back end. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Which I guess was good, you know. Yeah, like, right. But the prelims were starting to get slow. We got off to a hot start. There were awesome finishes. Things started to slow down midway. Then it kind of. 
you know, heated up at the very end. Uh, but yeah, man, Olivier looks phenomenal. Undefeated in the PFL. He's putting it all together. He's fighting with a tremendous amount of confidence. I thought he outstruck Burgos in round one, then kind of leaned on his his wrestling and jiu-jitsu in, in rounds two and three, just showing how well-rounded is, how, how well-rounded he is. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was a, a phenomenal performance, man. Good news, bad news for the highly touted free agent acquisition Shane Burgos. He does get to fight here on June 23rd, so he doesn't have a lot of time to sort of soak in the misery of this one. Uh, But what did go wrong for Burgos, who seemed very frustrated after the fact? Yeah, you know, he was complaining about, you know, uh, him and his team were saying, hey, you know, we thought Olivier was here to fight. We wanted him to fight. It's like, it's mixed martial arts, man. You know, he's going to mix it up. He's going to try to grapple you. Um, you know, you you had your chances to strike with him in round one. It seemed like he was a little bit cold heading in there. Uh, you know, really couldn't find his rhythm until late in the fight. And a lot of that had to do with Olivier, uh, his ability to get in, get out. Um, I thought he was pressuring. He was kind of staying in the pocket against Burgos and still outstriking him. So I don't know. It seemed like Burgos was thrown off by that a little bit. He was hesitant. Um, and I, he didn't know what to do as far as the takedown game. You know, it was, it was Olivier who was, had that body lock from behind and then he was taking his back and controlling him from there. So Burgos just couldn't get anything started, but I think it was more than anything else, just, um, a quality fright from Olivier Aubin Mercier. And, um, yeah, I, Burgos, I think should have been a little bit more aggressive early on. And, uh, I don't know, should have been able to maybe stop those takedowns better up against the cage. And if you are Olivier Aubin-Mercier, the 2022 PFL lightweight champion, right? It's a tournament. He's fighting yeah. in a couple months too, so uh, yes. minimize risk, and uh, he moves on, albeit without exactly. the uh, the all important finish. What do you got for me on my guy Clay Collard? I did not see the fight. I'm a big Clay Collard fan, and he gets it done 30 to 27 across the board over Yamato Nishikawa. Uh, he can't fight in a boring fight if he tried. You know, every single time it's like, you know, I'm, I'm going to fight smarter. Or I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And he just gets in these wars. Uh, you know, I, I've made this comparison before. He's like the missing Diaz brother, man. It's crazy the kind of fights that he gets into. Um, he always finds a way to make it exciting. Nishikawa, though, I, I think really proved himself as a guy to watch out for. He's known more for his submission game, um, and he was definitely undersized against Clay Collard, who was landing a lot of strikes against him. But Nishikawa had a lot of success with leg kicks, and Clay was was having trouble keeping his base out there. He was kicking the legs from underneath uh, Clay Collard several times during the fight. Um, and dude, twenty years old, has thirty professional fights. Just insane. His dad wanted to be a professional fighter, d- didn't make it for whatever reason. Decided he was going to have a son that was going to be a professional fighter. Nishikawa never attended kindergarten. Uh, you know, first grade, not never wow. went to formal school. He trained him. He he basically trained him full time as a fighter since day one. He was homeschooled. Uh, he he was walking around Las Vegas barefoot all week because he says that's how he fights. Wow! So he walks barefoot. I mean, he's like an old school throwback martial artist, man. But uh, he lost against Collard. Um, but I I thought that was one of those cases where you know you lost, but you really proved yourself as a tough dude, like similar to Arnold Allen. Maybe he lost, but I think he got a lot of um, praise and a lot of respect in that loss. Cleanest streets in America in Las Vegas, so you might as well walk around barefoot. (laughs) And I'd imagine this is making you rethink 
every decision you're making now is the <laughs> father to a son in terms of exactly. his educative quest. And uh, yeah, I think he should be a fighter as well. Archer, if you uh, get ready, <laughs> buckle up, son, because Ken Flo is going to throw you right in there. So uh, it's Natan Schultz, not Natan Schulte. Is that right? Natan Schultz. Yeah, exactly. Natan Schultz. Yeah. So yeah. I'm walking around yesterday. So I let my daughter and her friend go shopping. So I'm trying not to be like all suffocating. So I'm outside. I'm walking around, you know, trying to get it in a little bit, get some vitamin D, a little cardiovascular. And I see Conan Silvera about eight hours after Edson Barboza had defeated Billy Corantello here in South Florida. I said, coach, big night for American top team. It's like big weekend. We went nine and zero. So Schultz yeah. part of a nine and zero weekend for American top team. What did you make of Schultz getting it done over uh, Scotland? Stevie Ray. So best performance that I've seen from Natan Schultz. He, he's already a two-time champion, so he already has banked $2 million uh, for himself. Uh, but since I have uh, seen him, he's always been super exciting, uh, similar to Clay Collard. He just can't find himself uh, in, in anything but an exciting fight. Loves to move forward. He's like a Terminator. Calf kicks, judo takedowns. Awesome to watch. But this was the cleanest, smartest performance that I've seen from him yet. He said he's been working hard hard on his grappling, his wrestling, and, and his jiu-jitsu game, uh, and it showed, uh, looked looked amazing, uh, just always seemed like he was a step ahead of Stevie Ray, who's very good on the ground, but Natan Schultz showed that um, he was a little bit smarter, a little bit quicker uh, to move, and just was out-positioning Stevie throughout the fight. All right, and before we move on to UFC fight night, I mean, once again, what can you get Sadabusi off the prelims, Kenny? Do you wield enough power to get Sadabusi <laughs> onto the main card? I know, right? Uh, Sadabu had a great fight, man. Ended up fighting a, a very tough uh, Jarrah Al-Salawi um, out of uh, Jor Jordan and um, had a great performance. You know, was really uh, able to utilize that long frame. His six foot three, uh, you know, at welterweight, uh, huge for the weight class. Uh, just very good with those long-range weapons. Ultimately, it was a knee to the body on the liver side uh, that just folded uh, Al Salawi like fresh laundry, man. It was brutal, uh, and uh, yeah, ended up getting it done. So Sadabusi, I think you know he he has a tendency of, of fighting conservatively. He's one of those guys. It's very difficult to win a round against him, um, but I think this year he's coming with way more aggression and way more. Um, you know, will to finish the fight. And, and I think uh, that that was a great start for him. So great win. What a fun name to say, Sadabusi. Cody, is that Swedish Denzel? Is that what they call him? Yeah. <laughs> Look at this guy. He knows everything. So Cody Merrow tells me that uh, Sadabusi, I mean, what a name you can punk punch there with a call. <laughs> Sadabusi was offered to us for the Anakin Florian podcast today. We had Francis Marshall book that I should have teased that off the top coming up a little bit later in about 40 minutes after Ray Longo, UFC featherweight Francis Marshall, who fights this weekend live on ESPN plus. So we do hope we get a chance to talk to Sadabusi and uh, we do hope to see him on a main card coming to you shortly uh, in the PFL. All right, Max Holloway and Arnold Allen in our featherweight main event from last weekend. And it goes to Max Holloway, unanimous decision, 49, 46 times two dissenting judge had a 48, 47. I felt like there was an argument to be made that Max Holloway did bank the first four rounds. My go-to scorecard, Sean Sheehan suggested a round two for Arnold Allen. I certainly 
think there's an argument to be made there. Big round four, five for Arnold Allen on the heels of Faraz Sahabi, suggesting he needed World War Three in round five. I would submit to you, if Arnold Allen goes World War Three in round four and five, maybe we're talking about a different outcome. Instead, yeah. Max Holloway maintains his spot near the top of the division and, and adds a 20th UFC win. Your thoughts on the UFC main event? It's an extremely difficult thing to have a strategy that involves um, having to outpoint or outfight Max Holloway at his own game. Um, and I think that's kind of maybe where, where the failure was a little bit too much is that, you know, um, and, and Arnold Allen kind of has that style that Max Holloway does, but Max Holloway just played it better. Um, and again, when you're talking about experience, and this is why I went the way of Max Holloway, it is so tough. Uh, to make those right decisions um, against someone with the kind of experience that Max Holloway has. Dude, Max Holloway is is, is an absolute treasure. Uh, the way that he fights, um, his toughness, um, he, there's so many different levels to how he approaches the game. He's like, oh, okay, you want to try to outpoint me? I'll outpoint you. Um, you want to switch stances? I can switch stances. Oh, you want to get nasty and try to knock me out? I'm game for that too, and I'll beat you at that as well. So um, this was a Max Holloway that I thought who looked great. He looked energized before the fight. He fought like he was energized during the fight. Um, and I think what makes it all the more impressive is that this was an Arnold Allen that fought extremely well, but Holloway was just a little bit better. So it sounds great that Arnold Allen's stock may go up. I don't necessarily see it that way. And I love mm. this kid. I haven't had a chance to call a lot of his fights, but you know how I feel about these two-year championship setbacks. And I'm not a fighter and I can't go into his head, but I felt like as great and as urgent as Faraz was at the beginning of round five, I just feel like to your point, you can't dick around with Max Holloway. I know how hard he is yeah. to put away. He's just a really hard guy against whom to bank rounds. Yeah. As far as Arnold Allen moving forward, Kenny, valuable experience accrued, obviously, 25 minutes with Max Holloway, hard to do much better than that. Um, but if you were to look at him with a critical eye as you spin it forward against yeah. the other top five at featherweight, uh, what would you say to Arnold Allen in terms of uh, taking his career to the next level? I would have liked to seen more of an approach like Volkanovsky took against Holloway, right? Where you're able to dance in, dance out, land big shots, make Holloway pursue, and then counter him again and get out of the way. I don't think there was enough where he was frustrating Holloway. There was there was no point where Holloway was really frustrated. He stood in front of Holloway a little bit too much and tried to outpoint him at his own game. And I think that's where he failed a little bit too much. I also would have liked to seen him mix it up in the clinch. You know, anytime Holloway was getting off, get to that clinch like he did in round five a little bit. You know, slow him down, take him out of his rhythm, then go back in, use your striking game. I didn't see enough uh, weapon variety. I didn't see enough... Um, variety with his overall game. You know, uh, I thought that he really just tried to make it a boxing fight. And against Holloway, it's going to be extremely difficult to beat Max Holloway in a boxing fight inside the octagon. Um, so I didn't expect him to try to take him down because Holloway has very underrated uh takedown defense uh, maybe it's not underrated maybe it's just damn good but yeah uh, either way it would have been tough for him to do that so and uh to your point i would have liked to seen more aggression early on in the fight i i, I 
guess he he I, I think he won round two. Yeah. Um, I think he was on his way to winning maybe round five, and maybe there is an argument for round five as well. But him dropping, him getting dropped at the very end didn't help him. Um, but he certainly had uh, took a more aggressive approach in round five. But um, I would have liked to seen him be more aggressive in rounds three and four, and then put the pressure on Holloway late in the fight. Um, so, yeah, it was it, it was tough. I, I thought he really should have uh, stepped on the gas earlier in that one. I got a question from one of our longtime faithful listeners, Bruce Marshall. He's the guy at the live events wearing the merchandise, if you're wondering. By the way, Cody, that hoodie that some fan was wearing in Kansas City with the brand new DraftKings <laughs> podcast logo and yo fucking later on the back, which is a nod to my best friend, Hurricane Montgomery. Did we make those? Or did uh did that dude make it on his own? Either way, it's a brilliant oh, that's hoodie. a bootleg. Oh, you gotta dude. love it. <laughs> All right, so here's there, right? <laughs> yeah. So here's the uh the question from Bruce Marshall. And as you marinate on this question, I'm gonna throw out some numbers for you on the back end. Max Holloway is the sharpest, smartest fighter in the UFC. How does he come out of a tiny gym and these monster gyms cannot produce the same? Strictly fighter with natural skills, that's a question for Kenny Florian. And as you marinate on what makes Max great, every time he fights and you see his performance against Calvin Cater, obviously is immortalized behind me if you're watching on DraftKings YouTube channel right now. I still can't wrap my head around what he was able to do volume-wise against Calvin Cater, that over those 25 minutes, he landed 300 more strikes than he did against Arnold Allen on Saturday night in what was a pretty good effort volume-wise. You know, the commentators kept saying every time Arnold Allen landed, Holloway was hitting him with a four-piece combination on the backside. Against Calvin Cater, he landed 445 significant strikes on 744 attempts. Like, that will never be broken. Don't at me. That will never be broken. 274 significant strikes landed to the head against Calvin Cater. Last night, efficiently, Holloway lands, or Saturday night, 147 significant strikes on 262 attempts. So far less volume, methodical, measured, at his calculated best. He can beat you in a number of different ways. He can beat you with 700 plus strikes. He can beat you like this. Uh, what makes him so special? And how has he been able to do it seemingly with, um, I shouldn't say no names around him because there are a lot of talented coaches around him, but he has kept this circle tight and has realized success while doing so. Tired of snooty wines and their old wine culture? Confused by words like malolactic fermentation? Yeah, we are too. So with 19 Crimes, you can do the fancy schmancy tilt sip smell routine or don't. 19 Crimes is the rebel of wine and culture, telling the stories of rogues and rule breakers who overcame adversities. From convicts banished to Australia to the legendary icon Snoop Dogg himself, 19 Crimes wine is defiant by nature, bold in character, and always uncompromising. 19 Crimes, the official wine of UFC. Pick up in stores nationwide or online at 19crimes.com. Enjoy responsibly. 2024, Sonoma, California. 
Um, you know, I think there's a lot of things at play here. Uh, we could talk about preparation number one. Clearly, uh, his coaches are preparing him extremely well. Uh, he's also putting in an extreme amount of work. One doesn't just throw that many punches against Calvin Cater without being in insane shape. Um, and, and that, obviously, it's twofold. I think there's a lot of natural ability there. The way that he's built, he's almost built like a, a marathoner or a triathlete. Um, but uh, also, you have to be putting in the work in training camp. You, you can't just go out there and do that. And go, oh, I'm going to rely on my natural cardio or my natural lungs to do that. You got to be training your ass off. And clearly, Max Holloway and his team are doing that. I think on a technical level, they're always pushing the envelope as well and looking for ways to get better. But perhaps the most important thing out of all that, John, I think it's the culture in Hawaii. Uh, If you have a beef to settle, you settle it and you settle it with your hands. You go outside and you say, what's up? Um, Those guys have been doing that for a very long time and they've been doing that since they're little kids. And, and, And also you had this guy in BJ Penn who was like this virtual god out of Hawaii. So all these little kids have been looking up to BJ Penn and all these other Hawaiian fighters for a long time. Um, So I think the MMA culture has been there and been there strong for a very long time. And I think uh, those guys have just been training and, and, and had that culture around them for a very long time as well. You know, you, you talk about Helson Gracie moving there to Hawaii way back in the day, like early 90s. So they've been doing jujitsu for a long time. They've been fighting for a long time, surf culture and how they, you know, fight and protect their waves and their territory. You know, so they have all those things that kind of makes them a very strong uh, warrior culture. Yeah. And, um, you know, then you, you add in all those gems that, that are there. And I think you get kind of this perfect recipe to create someone like a Max Holloway. Unheralded coaches, Ryland Lazars and everybody else, strength and conditioning coaches on point, but you, uh, Darren Yap, I believe is his name, but you're right, you're right to uh, acknowledge the warrior spirit. And speaking of warrior spirit, speaking of a guy with a skin tone who makes it look as though he resides in Hawaii, the great Ray Longo now joins us for his, <laughs> his weekly Ray Longo minute. Look at that, look look at that you. On, my, on my bucket list, Hawaii. You've never been to Hawaii. I want to. No, I've never been to Hawaii. Wow. I'm, waiting for the Uf- I'm waiting for the UFC to go there. We're not they, going. They- Maybe the PFL go to Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, but why is why can those promotions do a, a show over there and we can't with UFC? Right? I like how they, you say we. Yeah, when it we. To the this UFC. is our promotion, no? Yeah. I think it's tax. It's very expensive, right, to put an event on. I think that's part of it, I believe, which is why like big organizations uh, hesitate and go in there. I think that's a part of it, uh, but yeah, I got absolutely I got, beautiful there, man. We we got James Gonzalez going over there, leaving tomorrow to fight Aaron Pico. Oh wow! In the next card, yeah, big nice. fight for James. Yep, going to be the a barn, great fight. The barn cat. The, no, the alley cat. Oh, the barn alley cat. cat. The barn cat was what's his name? Tristan McCrory. No, Tristan McCrory. Tristan McCrory. Even better. Yes. Yeah, I'm just te- just testing you guys trivia back in the day. <laughs> no, I think there are a lot of hurdles in Hawaii. Maybe venue. I know Dana doesn't want to do a show outside, but man, does that feel overdue. But why aren't yeah. you going this weekend, if I may ask, if it's on your bucket list? Well, I mean, you know, we, we have a couple of big fights coming up at the Prudential Center. I think I got to sit back. No? I understand. We got the no, steam fair. Roller and 
Aljo's back, so this is big stuff, man. I just we're wanted to say, if 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 you need the Anakin Florian podcast, fly to Hawaii to corner fly. We're happy to support. <laughs> you know, you know who isn't flying you to Hawaii? Fucking extra rounds. One hundred percent. I mean, you know, that is the, just the lock of the century. Extra they, they rounds not flying fly anywhere. To, they offered to fly me to Newark. <laughs> <laughs> and you said uh, that's okay. The Anakin Florian podcast would give me a black car service from Garden City uh, right to the Peru. One hundred percent. Speaking of UFC 288, Benil Dariush, Charles Oliveira off. Wow. I mean, what does Benny Dariush got to do? At this point, I think you got to give him a title fight. I think, I think at this point, he's a jinx, that poor guy. Oof. Man, what a that, – that was a fight I think people were looking forward to. It was a great compliment to uh, the main event. Ah, I hope they fill it up with something. They, they, they get a big fight in there because I think people were looking forward to that fight, especially – you know, Benny being such a nice guy and, you know, I, I don't know, really, that's what? when I heard that news, I was like, this, this, you got to be kidding me. John, was the injury disclosed for, for Oliveira by chance? No, or? not that I no. saw. Okay. But and, I do uh, think, go ahead, Flo. I was going to say, uh, well, you finish it. Cause I, I was going to mention what Cody was saying in the chat, which I think is very interesting. Well, I'll let you circle back to that. I was just going to say, it does stand to reason as you rep team steam, that Matt Frivola and and Drew Dober are going to get an appreciable bump on this fight card and probably get a prominent placement on pay per view. So, uh, so that's exciting. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's good. Ken Flo, what do you have? So, uh, Cody, Cody is saying that uh, both Gilbert and Bilal tweeted May six with eye emojis, and uh, that would be a great fight, Bilal. And uh, and Burns uh, going at it. Uh, obviously, you know, Bilal, Bilal and Gilbert both saying that they want that next shot. I think that's a perfect fight. Um, I think it's a great fight. If that's what they're they're working on, that would be very interesting. And apparently, uh, Benil is saying that they're moving the fight with the Oliveira back to June 9th. Wow. What do you guys think of that? That is a lot to digest. I had not seen those tweets from Gilbert Burns and Bilal Muhammad. That is just a few short weeks away. It would be a huge injection to this fight card. And the fight game works in mysterious ways, right? Arnold Allen even, I know he's banged up right now, but he could realize a high-profile short-notice opportunity that could change everything I say about these two-year championship setbacks. I do know that Gilbert Burns at times has expressed frustration that Bilal had passed him in the rankings like when he lost to Kamzat Shimaev and felt took some issue with that. And it seemed like Gilbert Burns, Ray, after he beat Jorge Masvidal, suggested, you know, give me a championship opportunity or release me. But maybe a short notice fight against Bilal maybe gets a little bit extra money. Who knows? But that would be uh, a nice little lead into uh, to your guy, Aljo Raymond. I'm saying that that's going to happen. I don't know why, but you guys just put it on the table. I'm thinking that's happening in that fight. And Dana said Dana said he was working yeah. on a new co-main event. So maybe yeah, that's and, the one. And he kind of alluded to Gilbert Burns. So we got 50% of what he was thinking. And you know Bilal's game for anything. So I would think that's, yeah. that's, why, that's why I'm heading in that direction. If he mentioned Gilbert Burns' name and I think Bilal's, he's 100% jumping in there, I think that fight's happening. I now, Gilbert it. Burns did it. fight 15 minutes on April 8th, nine days ago, Kenny. Perhaps that's a good thing, perhaps not. Bilal Muhammad is training right now during Ramadan several times a day, as is his norm. Uh, but that is a really high-profile fight to have no buildup. It is interesting when it comes to Leon Edwards. I still do believe Colby Covington's probably going to be next. But Leon Edwards is the champion. He has his own desires. 
He has said repeatedly he doesn't see a number one contender. If these two dudes fight, the winner of that fight's the number one contender, Ray. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, John, you said something, too. It, but, and, you know, this work, MMA works in mysterious ways. You know, Kobe Covington gets hurt. One of those guys is right there where he wants to be, and that happens, you know, more than you think it happens, right? So nothing's nothing's in cement, and, you know, that's why you got to be ready all the time. And like Kenny was saying before I got on here, you got to be training your ass off every day because those opportunities don't come, you know, every month. You know, they come once in a while, so you better be ready to seize the opportunity. So for all those guys that are in that spot and they want it, they have, they have to stay ready at a – in a high way, too. It's interesting, Kenny, because Colby Covington doesn't want a non-title fight right now. And he keeps himself in phenomenal shape. But you do wonder if Colby Covington was offered May 6th, if that would appeal to him or if he just believes that he can hold out and uh, and still get that title shot. You know, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking of that as a p- potential option as well. You know, maybe he hops in there against Burns or him against Bilal. I, I mean, there's a bunch of options. That's a good thing for the UFC, you know, and there's no shortage of talent. Uh, and you got a bunch of guys. You got you got three guys that all think that they deserve the next title shot. Well, let's have at least two of them fight it out. Let's see what's what. I love, I love it. it. It's yeah, all speculation, so- and we are going to move on. But yeah. if you're Tim Simpson... Leon Edwards' manager, and Leon is hell-bent on fighting a true number one contender in his own mind in Abu Dhabi in October. And by the way, Leon Edwards has suggested that as his timeline. You know, maybe Leon's management goes to the UFC and says, we'll sign a contract to fight the Bilal Gilbert winner in October, a million percent, but right now we're not going to sign a contract to fight Colby Covington. You know, I don't know. We shall see. Um, But we'll see which uh, number one contender emerges out of all of that. Ray, did you watch PFL3 to support Ken Flo or not? I mean, don't lie to the audience. Yes, I, I hold on a second. Huh. Yeah, I'm going to say I saw PFL three. I didn't like the way they. It was the main card. They screwed up something on TV, so I missed a couple of the fights. Right or wrong? Is it me or no? I, you're I, right. It was all. It was all I, over the I, place. I was all looking for the place. Shane Burgos fight, and I I missed that. And then we, I, but I I did see the Stevie Ray fight, and I did. I saw a couple of fights. Yeah, we had to take a back seat to the NBA playoffs. They. Something like up. that, right? Because yeah. I was yeah, on, yeah. I was racing home, and then I was like, I don't have to race home. It starts at nine thirty. I get, I don't know, I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, I love I how he it. says it, though. I'm gonna say I watched PFL three. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say I watched it. Is that what you're gonna well, say? Yeah, you know, you're say you I have. It. I did watch it. 100 know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> you know who was but, there? You know who was there? Al Jermaine Sterling. The bantamweight oh, wow. and the real? UFC. He was there, dude. He consumes everything. Like I see him yeah, tweeting oh, yeah, yeah. from the oh, early yeah, yeah, prelims yeah, yeah. on the UFC. He's going to the PFL fights. Like he's watching everything oh, from no, the no, beginning. No. Like a, he watches everything. Man, he's a he's student a, he, of the game. He is a student of the game, and he not only does he watch it, he retains it. Unlike me, who right. might have watched it, and I don't even know because. After UFC on Saturday night, that already erased Friday night to me. So, <laughs> so but I definitely, I definitely saw it. He's looking lean and mean, man. He's looking like he's in great shape. Yeah, excited to see him today. Yeah. Oh, he looks like an absolute monster. I mean, yeah, yeah he always. So, yeah. all right. So I get myself in trouble for myriad reasons all the time. It seems like not a day <laughs> yeah. goes by where I have like a clean day where my wife or but my yeah. twin brother isn't like, the, dude, can you just shut your mouth is- and call the fights, please? <laughs> Yeah, the good news is we're getting used to it, so it's like normal now. <laughs> it is. So I don't intend to necessarily have a greatest of all time conversation about the Bantamweights when I lay out the show today. 
But the weekly scraps, Aljamain Sterling's podcast, put out a question suggesting that if Aljamain Sterling beats Henry Cejudo in less than three weeks now, that he is the greatest bantamweight of all time. And when Trevin Five Star Jones or whomever it was got an opportunity to fight Cody Garbrandt recently, he said, you know, there aren't that many former champions at 135 pounds. Never mind who might be the greatest of all time. Now, Dominic Cruz is one of my best friends. Certainly to me, yes. he's the guy. But he hasn't competed all that often in the UFC. So I would right. say unequivocally, if Aljamain Sterling adds a Henry Cejudo scalp to his resume on May 6th, Aljamain Sterling's the greatest bandwagon of all time. I think it's a no-brainer. It really is. It really is a no-brainer. You know, I don't. I don't think we need the weekly scraps to uh, tell us that. I think it's <laughs> a, it's a it's a hundred percent a no brainer. It really is, and uh, you know, I think we got a kid with a lot of confidence. Again, the, the the adversity he's been through, I think, only made him stronger. You know, it's that old saying: whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I think he's an example of that, and uh, I'm really super excited for this fight. I really bring that up in the context of how much is on the line with this fight against Henry Cejudo. What type of Henry Cejudo are you expecting? I mean, uh, you expect this guy to be in the best shape of his life? Come on. I, I 100% <laughs> expect him to be in the best shape of his life. I don't think Henry's stupid. I think he's a student of the game, too. I, I like listening to him talk. He's very practical. Uh, I think he keeps it simple. And I think that's what the way he's going to approach this fight. But he's 100% going to be in shape. If he's not... Oh, he'll then, be in shape. Yeah, Neurofourth yeah, so one. Yeah, no, I was totally messing around. Again, right. I got to be careful, right? No, but it is interesting. You see, he got a huge cut early on in training camp. I don't know if you saw any of the videos. So no. he was stitched up for much of this training camp, which oh. maybe is a non-factor. But to me, I think it's a factor. Uh, but I'm fascinated to see how he comes back. Just given the long layoff, I'm fascinated to sit down with Henry in a fighter meeting and find out what his motivation is right now. Certainly adding a win over Aljamain Sterling and becoming a two-time UFC Bantamweight champion is a huge thing. But does he just see this as a springboard to featherweight to try to become C4? Is he coming back for monetary reasons? You know, I just think it's, it's interesting, the timing, the division and everything else. Yeah, I think, uh, look, I think money's always at the top of the equation. You know what I mean? So yeah, he's been out for a couple of years. Doesn't look like he's been killing. We don't really know, but it doesn't look like he's been killing it with anything. Wasn't he supposed to go into real estate or something? It seemed yeah. like he had a game plan when he retired. I'm not right. sure that came to fruition. Right. But uh, if it didn't, I think that's probably why, you know, he feels like this is a good fight for him. He feels like it is a springboard. Maybe if he wins that he goes on to something bigger. So I think he's he's a guy that's, you know, playing chess and looking down the uh, line a little bit for sure. Yeah. Yep. Global pandemic, as Cody suggests, probably uh, didn't help as far as his real estate endeavors. But yeah, it will be interesting. Yeah. Sometimes you don't always get the right answers. I, I love Henry. We have a good relationship. I've tried to get him on the podcast in the lead up to this fight. And uh, I think his focus is on his YouTube channel. And he has politely denied that request. Maybe if I go with your boy Aljo directly, he'll actually come on the program. We'll Aljo, uh, he'll 100% come on the program. So I wanted to get your thoughts on Max Holloway. Because uh, just another another chapter in a career of brilliance for one of the greatest featherweights of all time, Ray. Yeah, 100%. I mean, he made that. He took a tough kid. Allen Allen looked good. He definitely deserved to be there. I think it'll be a great learning experience for him and growing fight. But, man, he, he – I'm going to say, look, it was it – was, 
I don't know if it, I think it was a close fight, but Max just made it look like a sparring session where he was playing around. That's the that's the craziness to me is that he took a a, a real contender who who looks like he hits like you know a freight train. He just the way you know Kenny the way he no sells getting hit is unbelievable too. Like if you don't have if the volume is turned down, you're not listening to the announcers go. Oh, what a shot! You're gonna think nothing happened. He yep. doesn't even flinch. He acts like it's nothing. The fight's over. He's talking like he's three weeks before the fight. Like he, I thought it was incredible for a variety of reasons that he just took a talented kid and made it look really simple. And, you know, the last couple of seconds when that guy really wanted to throw down, he threw down with him and knocked him down. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think it was his plan to go in, like he said, and hit, not get hit. Didn't exactly go his way, but he kind of, to me, made it look easy. Kenny, speaking of not getting hit, I'm not sure there's any professional sport in the world whose elite athletes train or work towards a common goal so differently. And I bring it up in the context of Max Holloway, who doesn't spar, juxtaposed against somebody like Dominic Cruz, who needs to spar tons and tons and tons of rounds over six months to get right. And Kenny, I'm not suggesting that one approach is, is better than the other, but it's crazy in a sport at this level that some guys don't spar and some guys feel like it's the lifeblood of their whole training camp. Yeah, I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, not only the, the way that they run camps, the way the coaches run camps, but also I think, um, you know, how many years they've been in the game. Without um, a I, doubt. I think, you know, it's like Robbie Lawler, uh, after coming from, you know, the Miltic fighting systems camps for all those years, gee, didn't want to spar after that you know like <laughs> he realized that he needed to you know and it worked for him um it worked yeah. for him you know and, and it worked for certain people but at some point like especially early on in your career i you know i was probably sparring like five times a week you know honestly um you know n nothing crazy i'm not trying to like knock each other out every single day but that helped me and then over time i didn't have to do as much right so it depends everyone's different um you know, but as far as like sharpening your sword and getting ready for a fight, it's in in my mind, it has to be a large aspect of your camps. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you. And again, if you're a Wonder Boy Thompson, you know they they look first of all. If you have to define sparring, they're play sparring for sure. You know, they're not maybe going in there with the intent of bringing in new guys and testing themselves that way. But they're a hundred percent play sparring. They're getting the timing down. Wonder Boy never really sparred that hard. He just He's got the length. He's got, you know, the weight. The, I think the guys that are on the outside that can fight on the outside, like Max is a tall guy. He's got a lot of fights. He was always active. Yeah, so it's almost like in Thailand, Kenny. They're always fighting once a month. Why, why right. are they sparring? So they right. they develop that play sparring. So the guys that are active, they don't really have to spar. It's because they just fought three months ago. It's not... Like, see, Dominic would get injured. He'd be out for two years. Yeah, he has to get those juices flowing. How How is he not going to do that? He has to spar. And then you have to bring in the right sparring partners if you want to do that and make sure that nothing's crazy. But I think there's a certain type of fighter like the Holloways, the, the Wonder Boy Thompsons that can get away with it because what they do, they do so good, uh, you know, that it, it's not that important to them. But they are in the gym play sparring every day i've seen it even in my gym we got guys that do that but every day they're playing around they're not banging it out every day but they're certainly getting their timing and punches are coming at them it's not like it, you i don't you can't think that max holloway just did strength and conditioning and 
did nothing. He's playing around with people for sure. You can see it in yeah. his movement, you know, yeah. but he's, he's been there. How many fights? This guy's been around forever at this point. You know, we were talking about his fight with Dennis Bermudez yesterday. Yeah. You know, think about how long ago was that? Conor McGregor at 45. Those days are yeah. gone. You know, and this his style. Yeah. You know, go ahead, Ken. Yeah. Oh, and I was going to say, and his style of fighting, I think, um, first of all, it's like he's proven his toughness like 80 fights Without ago. Without a doubt. So, so I think he knows how he's going to respond. And I think because of his style, because of the way that he fights, he stays in the pocket, he trades with you. I I think in that case, it, it serves him well, you know, similar to like Robbie Lawler, where, you know, they've, they've accrued a lot of damage over the years that they're trying to minimize that as much as possible and really trying to work on technical skills and things like that. But uh, as Ray said, that there's no way he doesn't do some kind of sparring, whether it's uh, place sparring or you know, a doubt. drills and things like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And again, if you know your guy has a good chin, even better, right? Yeah. But if you can't take a punch and you think you're going in there without like the flight time of sparring, the first time you get hit, it's going to be a disaster. So there's certain guys you could p- probably profile them at this point and know who they are. Hey, guys, how's my audio? Pretty good now. My mic just went off, so hopefully you guys can hear me. Oh, well, well, I hear you. Perfect. Yeah. All right. So Billy Corantello had a tough weekend at the office. Edson Barboza gets it done with a huge knee at 237 of round one. Billy Q acknowledged it as a mistake on social media. Highest profile fight of his career. Barboza proving that uh, that he is still able to get it done on a pretty elite level. Billy Corantello is about a two to one favorite here. You know him well, Ray. What were your thoughts on the co-main event? You know, my thoughts on the co-main event is I think Billy's style, the way that fight was going, uh, like if, you know, if he didn't even go for the takedown, I think he eventually would have been a war of attrition that I think he would have won. It looked like he was pressing him back. He was getting off his shots. Uh, I think he did the same, maybe takedown a couple of times in a row. And, you know, Edson caught him with the knee. It was He just got caught. I think that fight, I think it was... I, people are going to disagree. I think it was going in his favor. I really do because I think he's that fighter that has to absorb punishment, but he could certainly dish it out. And I don't think Edson's at the point now where he he could take that type of pressure for three rounds. So I think mixing the takedowns was a beautiful strategy, but I think Billy probably would have out-toughed him. But with that being said, just hats off to Edson, man. He did catch him with the knee, and you know he 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 is one of the scariest fighters. I don't know about now, but back in the day. He was not a you know he was not playing around this whipping those kicks but you know guys get older things slow down uh, you know which was part of the fascinating thing with Max I think you were saying Kenny you saw like kind of kinks in his armor those kinks were he's hiding them well I think if he's yeah. got them I don't I don't think yeah. he's the he's the aggressive Max but man he's still in there and you can't really touch him too often and he could always offset you and uh, you know I think you know. Edson Barboza's game, I know him all over the place. Edson Barboza's game is like a power playing game, right? He's smashing those kicks. He's ripping good body combinations with his hands. And uh, that's the first thing to probably go, right? So I think Billy, it looked like that fight was going his way until he got need. I, I yeah. could be 100% wrong, but Billy's a tough, in-your-face type of guy. And I think, you know, those are the fights that Edson has trouble with. Guys coming forward. Uh, normally have a little more power. You know, they have the big right hands that he, he just can't take. And uh, I don't know. I think he's he'll, he'll, he'll come back stronger from that fight. So hats off to, to both guys. Kenny, some suggesting Billy Q got a little bit sloppy there on that sequence that ended the fight. But Barboza did say 
in some post-fight interview that he had drilled that knee for eight weeks. And say what you want about American Top Team. They've realized wild success, but they are nothing if not strategists, right? Like a lot of these guys are really thinkers, film studiers. It's a big win for Edson Barboza. He had a window, and man, did he fucking close the show. He's got one of the best highlight reels yeah. in the history of the sport. Oh, Phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, ATT, they, they clearly did their homework. Uh, they had a phenomenal weekend. Um, and, you know, uh, I've mentioned this before, but uh, it, it's a paradox, right? The things that uh, make us who we are, uh, there are there, there strengths, but they also could be our weakness. And I think Billy Q is extremely aggressive. It's what makes him such a problem to deal with. But also in doing so, he can be a little bit too reckless sometimes. And uh, Barbosa at his age is clearly still very, very dangerous. I thought he was he was fighting the right fight. He just threw himself out of position. He was in line yeah. for that knee. Barbosa caught a man. And, and obviously they must have s- seen something in tape that – uh, gave them the idea that that would be a good thing to throw, uh, and it landed perfectly. Um, uh, you know, Billy Q is so dang tough, man. Uh, it, it, he he makes every single fight exciting. Um, and for Barbosa, who's been around in this sport a long time, who has experienced a lot of ups and downs, to see him come back to also one of the nicest guys in the sport, yes. you got to feel happy for him as well. But uh, Billy Q will be back. He'll be back. He'll be stronger and tougher than ever. And, um, you know, it was a great fight while it lasted. Yeah, well well put. I, I agree 100%. And really, two, two of the nicest guys in the game. So, again, like, I don't want to yeah. take away anything from Barboza. They timed that knee perfectly. Hats off to those guys for game plan. And uh, just, I, I did like what I was seeing at the beginning of the fight. I think he had him on the back foot, which is where you got to put Barboz. You can't let that guy come forward and get get really aggressive with his striking because he does everything too fast and too hard. Uh, and he got caught, you know. So I think, you know, it wasn't a, a prolonged beating. I think he jumps right back in there. And is your guy, Matt Frivola, not the greatest teammate in the history of professional sports, <laughs> right? With Billy Q every step of the goddamn way. Yeah, those guys got a great friendship. I Look, I, that's why, I, you know me, I'm always pushing it. I love the friendships in the gym. And, you know, he, the, those guys are Aljo and Marab. That's Billy Q and uh, Frivola. You know, they got a great thing going. And they'll, they'll have that thing going forever. Yeah. A lot of camaraderie, all spearheaded by the great Ray Longo. All right, a couple more things before we get you go. Francis Marshall coming up here, top of the hour. If we were on the radio, top of the hour would actually mean something. Anakin Florian podcast presented by DraftKings. Pedro Munoz over Chris Gutierrez, 30-27 across the board. Another fight similarly priced to Edson Barboza and Billy Quarantello. And once again, it's an American top team veteran reminding an oncoming contender yes. that uh, that they're still there. What would you think of Pedro, Raymond? I thought Pedro fought beautifully. I thought he got the job done. I think. 30 27 i think was the scores that was that was perfect uh happy to see it man he's had some tough fights i think he had a couple of fights that could have went his way that didn't so it's good to see him get back in the win column or stay in the win column because uh i thought he did great i thought he, he controlled that whole the pace of that whole fight Kenny, a little bit of a crossroads fight for these two Bantamweights. A lot of people felt like Gutierrez was going to take that next step at 135 pounds. Instead, uh, it's Munoz humbling him a little bit. I still think Gutierrez, one of the best in this division, and I still think he's going to find himself in a big fight. But Munoz, uh, proven that he's still got plenty of plenty of hunger left to, to try to make his own run here, potentially, at Bantamweight. 
Uh, no, no question about that. I think Munoz really surprised him. And when he rocked Gutierrez, I think it took away a lot of his confidence, man. Um, he was moving good. And uh, again, you look at Gutierrez and, and, you know, what, seven, eight fights in a row that he had uh, as far as wins go. He, he fought completely different against those guys that he did against Munoz. I don't know if it was maybe giving Munoz too much respect. Um, and then after, you know, so he was a little hesitant, I thought, to begin with. And then you see him get caught with that one shot. And he just wasn't throwing a whole lot of shots at Munoz. Like it was almost like he was in a sparring fight. And then he started yeah, to yeah. fight to not lose. And that's always a dangerous thing. And we can all fall victim to that. But I, I think Gutierrez didn't give himself enough credit. And I don't know if he fought Munoz. Um, I think he more kind of wanted to hang in there with Munoz. Mm. And um, uh, I don't know. And, and again, I don't want to take away from Munoz. I thought Munoz was clearly uh, energized and realized that he needed that win. Um, yes. Fought a great fight. Uh, was always kind of a step ahead. Fought hard. And uh, and won pretty much every single round. So it was a great performance from Munoz, who who deserves to stay in the UFC and deserves to be one of the top uh, top bantamweights out there. All right, Ray. Before we let you go, Matt Frivola, Drew Dober. We know about Oof. Dober's power. We know that he has been hittable at times. It's a fascinating fight. A lot of people expect them to uh, just bite <laughs> down on the gum shield and and meet in the middle. But I got to think that you've been in for Vola's ear about those first 120 seconds and how to navigate those. Well, you know, sometimes you could be in a guy's ear, John, and you still don't know what's going to happen. Right, but, uh, right. His natural predilection is to do exactly what you just said. But yeah. uh, we're, we're, we're working on it. I think you'll see a different Frivola. And uh, he's using his head. And uh, the combination of brains and his power, I think, will serve him really good in this fight. All right. And before I let you go, you know, you got nothing on Teddy Atlas when it comes to your wind, but you are very short lipped <laughs> when it comes to your guys. Like if I ask you yeah. now about Brandon Royval, you'll give me two minutes. But no, when I, I start will, yeah. to get on your guys, talk about Matt Favola, your whole yeah. tone and tenor changes. <laughs> uh uh, look, I think I, I try to keep it as short as possible I, with everything. No, you know, I, that's why I love listening to Kenny. He does. I'm going to do that one day. I'm going to do a Kenny and I'm going to break. I'm just going to go on with a couple of things. I'm going to look at a fight and write it. But I just look at he controlled the pace. He was winning the fight. I don't know what else you want me to say. But, uh, you know, some. <laughs> yeah, I want I, you to I, talk to me about Brandon Royval. Royval. Royval's a dog, man. Title shot, I man. Raw dog. Who made that guy an underdog in that fight? He's he's tough, that kid. He's always been tough. He's got great experience. <clears throat> he's a hundred percent a problem at that in that division. Yeah, I think Ray did just drop a predilication. Maybe you were going to say proclivity, predilection, or, 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 or no, predilection. I said predilection. predilection. I'll have to look that up. Predilection. That is a big word. Is I know it? proclivity. I know pension. I don't pred pred. What is it? <laughs> Predilection. Predilection. It's wow. Sad. So, Kenny, just did you make, see? Just make sure I used it right. <laughs> hey, uh, Kenny, real quick. Uh, did you see Brandon Royval over uh, Matthews Nicolau? I did. Dude, I'm telling you, man. Like, I know flyweight's a little bit crowded. We're going to get Brandon Moreno and Alessandre Pantoja second time for the belt. But at this point, like, if I, Royval, promoter's dream, man. He's the most watchable guy I, on the roster. Have him fight for the belt. I couldn't believe when I found out he was an underdog. Yeah. You know, only because we're not allowed to bet, so I don't really look right. anymore. 
Well, right. uh, if you do want to help us fund Ray Longo's trip to Hawaii, <laughs> we're going to start a fund. Get Ray to the 50th state, and we'll see if by the end of 2023, we can awesome. send you and your wife to uh, Hawaii on, on the pod. What are you? These guys are the best, man. Wow. <laughs> I, feel, I feel the love. I feel the love every week. This is phenomenal. Oh. All right, guys, I'm out of here. Thank you, buddy. Take it easy. All right, have a great, see great you, rest of the week. There Talk he is, the Ray Longo <laughs> Minute, every week here on the Anakin Florian Podcast. So I was talking to my wife last night, and as we talk about raising money for Ray to go to Hawaii, I wanted to come up with something that we could do and perhaps opening it up to the listenership and the viewership is the way to go. But almost like I wanted to do like a scholarship for like a prelim fighter of the year in the UFC, like the Anakin Florian podcast scholarship, where at the end of a year, we would give like $5,000 to a fighter who has not competed on the main card. By the way, Ken Flo's never fought on a prelim in his life, but this would be a fighter that is coming up. Maybe there are some hard life circumstances. And based upon what they accomplished in 2023 as a prelim fighter in the UFC, um, we give them five grand at the end of the year. I thought it would be a cool promotion for the show. And I think, too, we would get inundated with requests from the listenership. Oh, you should give it to this guy. You don't know what he's been through. So I thought it would be a cool thing. Um, but, uh, but at this point, we need to move on because now joining us on the guest line is a man who we've been looking forward to talking to. Look how fucking handsome this guy is. Sorry for the foul language, but he immediately elevates the whole room. This man's first professional knockout came at a good time last December when, when he made his UFC debut, UFC featherweight out of Jersey City, New Jersey. Francis Marshall is with us. Good afternoon, my man. Welcome to Fight Week. We appreciate a few minutes. How you doing? I'm good. How are you guys? Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure, man. So um, I was watching an interview this morning, and I hate to sort of start with a melancholy tone, but your uncle passed away on that Thursday, two days before you made your UFC debut, and it seems like you guys were pretty close. He was your dad's brother, and I guess I'm just curious how you navigated that circumstance when they when you found out, and was anybody in, in your family maybe inclined to not tell you just given the magnitude of, of what you were walking into that Saturday night? Yeah, I think it was uh, more of like, don't don't mention it, don't say anything until after the fight. And then that Thursday morning, I was just driving around with my dad. I think we were going to a couple stores. And he, my uncle lived in Orlando. So I was like, oh, how's Uncle Greg doing? Whatever. Because he wasn't doing too well at that point anyway. And then that's when he told me, he was like, oh, Greg died last night. And then, so I don't think they were going to tell me. And then kind of just put it in the back of my head and focus on the fight first. Wow. Well, man, did you focus on the fight? And I know you acknowledged some maybe pre-fight UFC jitters, but uh, any nerve seemed to dissipate pretty quickly. How did you feel overall about the way you navigated that first fight week? Um, I felt pretty good overall. I mean, it was a lot different than usual. Um, a lot bigger lights, you know, more stuff to do. But overall, I felt I definitely had the the pre-fight jitter, jitters and uh, and nerves. But I think after a couple minutes into the first round, it kind of shook them off. Uh, so, Matt, you've been training with Kurt Pellegrino. How long have you been training with Kurt, and, and how has that helped you, uh, you know, get into the UFC, man? Um, I've been with him for 10 years now. So just having him in the corner and, and helping out in all the fights, you know, with all his experience, it's it's definitely helped me a lot get the UFC, I think. Yeah, he, he's been talking about you a long time, man. So, so was that always a part of your plan? Like, I, I want to get into the UFC, or was at a certain point you are like, okay, I, I, this is a realistic goal now. Um, it was always a, a goal and a dream of mine. Like, it was always my vision to fight in the UFC and um, 
chase a UFC championship. So it's always been there. It's just a matter of time of when it was going to happen. Uh, how do you break down your next opponent, man? So he's, he's more of a, a lanky kickboxer, southpaw, and then I'm a shorter orthodox wrestler, grappler. So I think it's going to be more of that like um, grappler versus striker matchup again, something like that. So he throws a lot of kicks, a lot of punches, very um, unorthodox, I guess, in, in his kicks and stuff. So we've been game planning a lot for him. UFC featherweight Francis Marshall with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast, 7-0. You can see him fight on, U- on ESPN Plus this weekend live from the UFC Apex in Las Vegas. I want to go back to your contender series win in August of 2022 because when we sat down in our fighter meeting, you sort of mentioned that that fight forced you to open up with your boxing. And then you go and produce a knockout like that. How do you navigate that now? Falling in love with the hands, as DC says, you know, Gilbert Dorino Burns loves that knockout life. How do you navigate that now that you've produced this huge knockout on the world's biggest stage? Um, I think it's just more of sticking to the game plan and not getting too um, overzealous looking for a knockout in the next one. You know, just try to stick to the game plan of, of what we o- what have always worked for us and, and what we've always done. And um, if it opens up, you know, if, if I rock him with a right hand or, or a left hand and you see him wobbling a little bit, then try to go for the finish. But I'm not going to look to blow my load on a on another knockout. Just right. So you're a purple belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Do you still train in the gi or no? Not as much as Kurt would like me to. Right. <laughs> that's, that's a hard thing to admit in front of the uh, seven stripe Brazilian Jiu Jitsu black belt, Kenny Florian, as well. How many stripes they put on those belts, by the way? How many stripe? What's the max stripe, Kenny? I don't know. I don't. I eight, mean, eight. Eight. All right. Okay. Nine. I have no idea anymore. So, but you do have four wins by submission, all by way of the rear naked choke. And I guess I'm curious how you would describe your offensive Jiu Jitsu because we do spend a lot of time on this show talking about offensive Jiu Jitsu. And how a lot of guys just don't have submissions, man. So it seems like the rear naked choke is your go-to. But how would you describe your jujitsu game? Um, definitely a lot of pressure, top dominant, like a lot of pressure passing. And then once you open up the passing, then I just try to, for MMA purposes, more punches and elbows. And then that's when you get them to turn and then you could sink in the choke. Yeah. So it's just a lot of pressure on them and, and just really just scoring as much as possible. So your dad, Steve, your mom, Colleen, your siblings, I know you have an older brother and an older sister. What was their reaction after you did what you did in your UFC debut? Oh, they were very happy. They were excited. My sister yeah. was actually at um, Miami airport and she was watching it. And I think some lady was recording her while she was uh, going oh, crazy. Because, wow. well, she thought um, she was just that much of a fan that she was going crazy for a random person. So <laughs> <laughs> kind of funny, but yeah, they were all pretty excited. That's cool. So you started privates with Pellegrino when you were 14, you were born March 3rd, 1999. How about that? Ken flow better year to be born than say 1976, right? 1999. Yeah, oh my God. But what did Kurt say after the UFC debut? I'd imagine that, uh, that you gave him something to work with, even though the result was, was outstanding. Um, I mean, not much, not much negative. I would say. I mean, not yeah. they, he's not not that he's a negative person, but not much like to work on. More just like a getting the nerves out next time, you know, just being right. opening up sooner and um, just listening to the corner like I did. Like he's just like, see, I told you it would work. Sit down on that right hand, and that's uh, that's what landed. 
So I consider Kurt Pellegrino to be somewhat of a personal rival. We were at Kenny Florian's wedding in South Carolina, and there actually became need for a last-minute replacement groomsman. And Kenny chose Kurt. Now, in 2020, I think, I think he would choose me, but he chose Kurt at the time. So I say this somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but the juxtaposition between you, clean-cut, and I'm not saying that Kurt's not handsome, but Pellegrino's all over the fucking joint. And he's got this clean-cut kid in his corner. It's just an interesting <laughs> dynamic between the two of you guys. I don't know if I'm even looking for a comment, but it is interesting when I see you two together because it does seem a little bit like an odd couple to me. It's like uh, opposites attract, you know? He's, yeah, there you he's go. a little overgrown, bushy, and you know, clean-cut, young. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you're still... A firefighter, you're still doing the 24 hours on and the 72 hours off. Is that right? Yep. Up in Jersey City, I'm still still up there. Uh, I'm actually off now until after the fight, which is nice. And you've had a lot of support from the department, yeah? Yeah, 100%. So that 24 on, 72 off, a lot of our listeners can't really relate to that. I essentially stay up 24 hours usually for the UFC events right after the live event, but how do you uh, how do you navigate those final few hours in terms of making sure that you're that you're sharp as attack when you need to be? Um, like final few hours at work. Oh, that shift, yeah, like oh, that, hour number twenty one of a twenty four hour shift. Yeah, it starts to get a little draining, but um, you kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel. Right. I mean, I, I over the years I've kind of grown accustomed to it. You know, it's kind of just like habit now. So just like waking up in the middle of the night, it's not always the greatest thing, but I mean, it's not always something crazy going on. Sometimes it's just like a nuisance alarm and stuff like that, but still got to right. get up, go out and go through the whole process. Yeah. Some of our listeners suggesting that you're a better firefighter than Stipe, a bit more agile, but we're not going to ask you <laughs> to comment on that. Before I let you go, I wanted to get your thoughts on Raul Rosas Jr. and also the Max Holloway Arnold Allen main event, because I think as we spin it forward for you in this division, I'm curious how you feel about the elite fighters. But when you see Raul Rosas Jr., get to the UFC at 18 as a young fighter yourself and you see him realize success and then kind of fall flat in his second UFC appearance. Are you thinking he's there way too early or like, what is your thought when you see like an 18 year old kid kicking off a UFC pay-per-view in Miami? Um, I mean, the pay-per-view thing I, I saw with a lot of people was a little bit iffy. I mean, Calvin Gastelum and, um, Chris Curtis, I saw a lot of people saying they should have been on there, but for him to make it at 18, I mean, Good for him. If, if someone presented me the opportunity when I was 17 years old to fight on the contender series and then give me a contract after that fight when I was 18, right. I would have 100% took that. I wouldn't have said, no, I'm, I'm too young. You know, let me wait. I would have jumped all over it like he did. And that's good for him. But I think there's a lot of growing time for him and experience and, and kind of building into his own body. Because at 18, when I was 18 to now, even just six years later, I feel completely different just physically. So I think he's got a lot of room to work. I mean, it's not the end of the career. I mean, you have right, right. one loss isn't going to kill you. He's got a lot of people behind him. I'm sure he, a lot of great coaches and people want to go work with him and help him out. So I think he has a bright future ahead of him. It's a good answer from a bright young man. And before we let you go, to what extent are you keeping tabs on the UFC as a whole, the elite fighters in your division, like, are you locked in like the rest of us watching Max Holloway, Arnold Allen last Saturday night? Um, a little, I watched that yesterday when I was working out, but so I usually like to watch most of the featherweight fights just to keep an eye on where everyone's at and how everyone's doing. So it's just, those are probably the main ones that I watch the most. 
All right, well, you can see Francis Marshall fight French striker William Gomez live on ESPN Plus this weekend, man. Eventually, I think you got to pivot away from that Pellegrino cap, but uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Hey, thank you for the time, my man. You know you got supporters in this room, and uh, we'll be watching live on Saturday night. We wish you all the best, and we sincerely appreciate your time, brother. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. There he is, Francis. It's Fire Marshall with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. Got to take a couple digs at Pellegrino. <laughs> right now. I love it. You know? Somebody firing back. I think it was Jeff Gallo who wrote a tweet and there's a reference to some movie, but he said at I think UFC 174 that Michael Chiesa looks like he has been living on a bus in Alaska eating poisonous plants, right? I'm sure that reference is going to hit home with a lot of our viewers into the rising sun. There's some movie. I don't know. Chris McCandless. Chris McCandless. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the story of Chris McCandless. Okay, yeah. so yeah, Kurt yeah. Pellegrino, at times, looks like he's been living on a bus in Alaska eating poisonous plants. <laughs> and then he's got this Francis Marshall, who is uh, <laughs> clean as a whistle, born March 3rd, 1999. But we appreciate Francis Marshall joining us today. So and uh, just having a little bit of fun. Everybody's so sensitive, right? And my twin brother's going to be like, you're fucking sensitive, you know? But... Uh, Hopefully, Kurt can uh, still take a joke. He certainly could take a joke back in the day. Gosh, can you can you imagine though? I got to sit through that wedding, and they they call Pellegrino's number, Cody, instead of mine. You know, dude looks like he's been on a bus in Alaska eating poisonous plants. I'm dressed to the nines. What was he and- gonna have? I was gonna have Pellegrino announce us when we came in. I mean, come on, uh, it's fine. I, I gotta you you know, it's right. you just speak uh, yeah. the way you native. Yeah, that's good. Uh, I would have used you three different ways if I could. My I mean, man, no, I just have fun with that. Um, <laughs> All right, so these UFC fight nights are going to keep on coming this weekend. It is UFC fight night. Pavlovich versus Blades live from the UFC Apex. To that end, let's get to the main event challenge. Sound the trumpets, ladies and gentlemen. It is horse racing time, so saddle up for action with DK Horse, an official DraftKings affiliate. So right now, new customers who download the DK Horse app can get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250. All you need to do, deposit $25 or more and complete the playthrough requirement Wager on your favorite horses, then watch the races live right in the app. Download the DK Horse app, not now, but right now. New customers get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250 when they opt in with code FLOW, F-L-O, only on the DK Horse app. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER, 18+, plus, 21+, plus in certain states to open or access an account and a resident of a state where DK Horse is available. Eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. One per new customer. Match calculated on first deposit up to a maximum of $250. Deposit requires two-time playthrough of settled wagers within 168 hours. Bonus released in $25 increments. Deposit and eligibility restrictions apply. See terms at DKHorse.com. The main event challenge. The time is most definitely now. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. You got a bad mood. We got the cure. Big Gun Brian Petrie with us for the main event challenge. I do believe if I was in a really bad mood, you'd probably be one of my first phone calls. I might even FaceTime just to that. see that jovial I fucking mug, you know? I appreciate that. I appreciate that. You got a couple people, a couple friends of mine calling me Billy now from last podcast, so I appreciate that a little bit there. <laughs> they call me Billy Big Gun. So uh, thank yeah. you, Johnny. I'll take it. Hey. I'll take it any kind of way I can get it. 
So uh, we appreciate everybody dealing with me through my technical difficulties over the last several weeks. I'm trying to move into a studio, hopefully within the next couple of months. Uh, but anybody who thought that I was so rudely cutting off KenFlow during the main event challenge last week, it was nothing more than an audio issue. I assure you, I would not cut off a man as dangerous as that multiple times <laughs> over. We did repurpose the main event challenge on the DraftKings YouTube channel. If indeed you wanted to ingest that in its totality to see how uh, how poorly these guys did last week as we update the standings. Petrie, two and four. Kenflo, two and four. Am I right? Yeah. Uh, I'm always yeah. nervous. I'm going to screw it up. I, I guess. I, oof. Uh, Billy Petrie had a nice hit on Pedro Munoz, plus 180. Nice. Otherwise, fairly forgettable week. Minus 270. Your total not minus 28.55. Kenflo's highlight, the hit on Azamat Mirzakhanov, plus 155. But Kenflo did take losses on Clay Guida, Tanner Bozer, Chris Gutierrez, and Billy Corantello. So minus 325 for the week puts Kenflo at minus 570 overall. By the way, how about Clay Guida? Mr. Congeniality, he may be. But try to hijack the entire broadcast after being wow. on the wrong end of a 30-27 times three. Brian wow. Petrie, your thoughts on that? Uh, I thought the Dana I thought Dana said it best. I'm like, oh, shit, we're getting another retirement. He took his gloves off. You know, he's 41. You expect it. And he goes, no, nah, I just want to say happy birthday to whoever. And I thought Dana handled that great. He's like, dude, we're running a live show here, my guy. Like, what are you doing? And then I kind of love Bill Algio's, like, weird retirement just to kind of dig at KC a little bit. You know, KC's Cincinnati's rivals now, too. They just beat Philly in the Super Bowl. So I kind of love the KC dig there. Went, went, went a little heel turn on us, which I yeah. love. Well, and again. People are talking about Bill Algio. It was a great mm-hmm. performance. It was the fight of the night. But people, yeah. by and large, are talking about Billy Algio because of the post-fight interview. All right. Yep. First fight for us. Welterweight bang at a kick off the main card. Jeremiah Wells, minus 135. Matthew Semmelsberger, plus 115. Those Semmelsberger football highlights hit hard. Used to hit like a truck as a strong safety for Marist. He's won three of four, coming off a big win over Jake Matthews last December. Mm-hmm. Wells on the other side, 3-0 and in the UFC with as many stoppage wins. Wells, Billy. <laughs> <laughs> Wells, Brian, 11-2-1 yes. overall, but he is 36 years old, right. so time is of the essence. How do you handicap yeah. this one? Wells and Semmelsberger. Listen, I like Jeremiah Wells. He's from that Philly crew. That Philly crew's popping right now with, you know, Pat Sabatini. You got Sean Brady, and he, he's another one. He came to the UFC a little late, and I'm not sure if he started MMA, MMA late or not, but 3-0 in UFC, knocking out Court McGee, not a fucking easy thing to do. That dude's tough. And he got Semmelsberger, semi the Jedi, Frederick Maryland stand-up. You got one. Huh. Uh, I think this kid's good. I really do. Um, you know, the Chaos Williams fight, he took 91 shots, didn't drop down. Chaos Williams knocks out horses on the weekend. I mean, the dude can hit like a tank. And then you got the Jake Matthews fight where Jake Matthews went against Andre Fijo, and that was the best Matthews we've seen. I was like, holy shit, this is the guy we've been waiting for. Goes in against Sellenberger as a decent little favorite. Of course, I put all my money on Jake Matthews, and Sellenberger rises up, hits hard. He's athletic. His grappling's good. Um, I just, you know, I don't think Jeremiah Wells is the best wrestler. I think he's good on the ground, good rear naked choke. He is a finisher, but I just see Salzburger be too big and too athletic to really get it to the ground. And uh, as long as his volume is up, because sometimes he does kind of watch a little bit, as long as his volume up, I'll take Salzburger here at that dog price. I like it. It's a little puppy dog, just a little puppy dog, not a, not a juicy dog, but I'll take Salzburger. Can't flow Jeremiah Wells, Matthew Salzburger. Who do you like? Yeah, I, I like Semmelsberger as well, man. Uh, like BP said, that last fight uh, kind of sold me. Um, so I'm going to keep it short and sweet going with uh, Semmelsberger as well. 
All right, next up at lightweight, and I will admit to being absolutely floored by how wide this price is. It's come down a little. Mm -hmm. Bobby King Green, minus 280. Jared Flash Gordon, plus 235. UFC appearance number 21 for the King, who can now lay claim to more than 10 years on the UFC roster. Gordon on the other side, really, Brian, should have Mm -hmm. won five of his last six, but instead he was on the wrong end of that Patty Pimblett split. So now he's lost two of his last three. Big spot for mm-hmm. Jared Gordon as underdog. Who do you like at 155 pounds? I mean, he hit the nail on the head. When you when this price opened, you're like, wait, what? What's going on here? And then if you the props are not yet, but if you get Jared Gordon by decision, that's going to be four or five to one. If you're a value guy, put a 25 spot right there. You know, get 100 bucks. I'm going to quick handy. But I I'm kind of trying to switch things up because I'm a little cold. So I'm, I'm I took away the numbers and I went down the fighting and what skill versus skill here. And Jared Gordon is a very talented fighter. He's a pressure fighter. He can get you down the patty fight. I felt like if you would have done more on the ground, I thought it would have been a clear cut decision for him. But like takedowns. Just getting a takedown is not enough anymore. You got to show some damage. You got to do things. Bobby Green does have some good takedown offense. I don't let it fool you. This guy is some good takedown offense. He's coming off a fight with Drew Dober where he hurt Drew Dober a few times. A guy who was a volume puncher is all starting starting to find a little bit of power. Then you got clipped by Dober. Before that, he fought Islam, made a bag. Short notice. What are you going to do with Islam? But before that, you got Nasrat Haparaz where he pieced him up 116. And then he knocked out Ali Quinta, which I know Ali Quinta is not. That wasn't the real raging owl. But still, that's a finish win. And Bobby's slick in there, man. He likes to put his back against the cage, and he's very slick, and I, and I like that. And J- Jared Gordon has been knocked out before three times in the UFC. The one thing, though, when I'm breaking down this fight is there seems to be a little bit of a cloud over Jared Gordon, right? And this could be a good thing or a bad thing. The Patty fight is kind of hovering over him. Patty called him out from the, from the hospital bed. Now, either that's going to motivate him to want to get back, get that one back, or he's like, you know, I just want to patty fight. Fuck all this. My confidence is there. I know he works hard, but Bobby Green's tricky. The line is super wide. I'm going Bobby Green, though. Going Bobby Green. And I remind our Anakin Florian podcast viewers and listeners that these gentlemen can abstain from picking a fight. They just have to pick the main event. Jared Gordon plus 235. Bobby Green minus 280. Kenny Florian, who do you have? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought that was a great uh, breakdown and a great background on on the fight and the fighters. Um, Jared Gordon is a tough dude, man. I, I think where he, he'll be at a disadvantage, though, greatly in this fight is in the speed uh, category. Um, Bobby Green's going to be way faster here. I also think that Jared Gordon, while he's getting much better at takedowns, I don't know if it's enough to be able to take down Bobby Green consistently, keep him there get good position, and be a legit threat. I, I think that would be the path to victory here because Bobby Green isn't known for his ground game, uh, but I just don't know if he's going to be able to take him down and take him down and keep him down. So um, I like Bobby Green here as well. I think this fight will probably stay on the feet. I think a tough Jared Gordon will outlast him probably to the end, uh, but Bobby Green certainly has uh, pop in those punches, so watch out there. But I like Green here as well. And a ton of experience for Bobby Green. Three more appearances last year. Year, lost to Islam Akashev and of course Drew Dober to close out his 2022. All right. Featured bouted middleweight Brad Tavares minus 155, Bruno Silva plus 135. 22nd UFC appearance for Brad Tavares coming off Bry pretty brutal loss to mm-hmm. uh Drakus Duplessis last July. Tavares then pulled out of a scheduled belt versus Gregory Rodriguez. That was to be in Rio back in January. On the other side, Bruno Silva somewhat underappreciated most famous for fighting Alex Pereira to a decision. That was 13 months ago. Then he was submitted by GM3 last August. 
So now mm-hmm. Silva trying to avoid a third straight L here, BP. Who do you have? Yeah, I love this fight. Uh, it, you know, Brad Tavares mixes up well, but he's not. You look at his last two fights, he hasn't really attempted takedowns. And the Justice Duplessis fight, he got dropped three times. He got rocked a lot in that fight. He's just so tough. I mean, uh, and then you got Bruno Silva, who was kind of the guy coming in. This dude touches you. He puts you out. He fought Pereira, who uh, some people out there maybe think he won that fight. I did not, but it was a close fight. He went to a decision with Pereira, but then he just looks like a dud against GM3, and that's what GM3 kind of does. Either he's not on or he's on, and he was piecing up Silva on the feet and then obviously took him to the ground and submitted, and Silva's cardio lacked a little bit. I think this is do or die for Silva. I think if he loses this one, that's three in a row. I think the UFC is going to go, you know what? You maybe aren't who we thought you are. Go 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 win somewhere else and come back. That's what I think. He's an exciting fighter. He punches. He has big punching power. And that's what's the deciding factor here. I'm surprised he's a dog here. So I'm taking Silva because Brad Tavares, even though he's only 35, he's been in the UFC for a long time. A lot of miles on him. And Duplessis, who I don't think is the biggest power punch in the world, rocked him as many times. I think if Silva touches him, it's going to be a problem. So give me Silva in this fight. Ken Flo, 19 career wins by knockout or TKO for Bruno Silva, who I also believe is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. How do you handicap his chances here as an underdog against the uh, UFC credentialed and tested Brad Tavares? Yeah, that, that one with Silva was a hard one uh, for me to wrap my head around because I, I the, the one thing I was thinking, I was like, is he injured? Is, is something going on? What what the heck's oh, going on? Oh, when he fought uh, Alex. Uh, no, uh, GM3. Oh, Mishart. when Bruno Silva yeah. fought Mershard. Okay. Mishart, yeah. 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 Um, Got it. So that was a little confused. But yeah, no, I thought he had a great fight against Pereira. I do not think he won that fight. No. But I, I do think uh, he fought He fought really well. I was like, man, this kid is tough. Um, Tavares, you know, he's been pretty consistent besides, you know, inconsistent. Besides, you know, his like run in probably 2012, 2013, where he had some consistency. Um, he's one of those guys that is very difficult to, to bet uh, for or against. Um I think he can win this fight, um, but I think if we see a Silva that is motivated, that feels like he needs to have a great performance and is healthy, I think Silva wins that one too. So, um, yeah, I, I'm going to go with Silva here. Uh, I, I don't know with Tavares, it, it's tough. It's tough to um, go against him just because he's a, he's a very good striker and and he's tough. But um, I like Silva here. All right, both guys like Silva at Plus Money this weekend. UFC Fight Night Live on ESPN+. Plus. We'll have Petrie lead the co-main event, and then Ken Flo will lead us on what is a huge fight at heavyweight to close the proceedings today. Co-main event first, though, at Bantamweight. Ricky Simone, minus 140. Song Yadong, plus 120. Simone might just be my favorite fighter on the roster to watch, Bri. Just all offense all the time. Humble yeah. Jack Shore in his last fight. Took his O with relative ease. He's won five in a row, yet still just number 10 in the world because of the depth in this division. Kind of needs may rob Dwalish Willie to be champion. That would lay mm-hmm. the foundation for a rematch. But Song Yudong on the other side, still only 25. Lost to Corey Sandhagen in his last fight. It was a main event last September. You going Ricky Simone, slight favorite here against Song Yudong. Did Song Yudong start fighting UFC when he's 12? I mean, this guy's been, he's only 25. It's crazy. And you had the nail on the head, John. I love me some Ricky Simone. Don't call him Simon. It's Simone, baby. Uh, this dude legitimately could almost be. I mean, listen, let's 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 cut the bullshit, right? The reason he's ranked the way he is, and the reason he's not getting talked about is he got knocked out by Uriah Faber. 
right? He got knocked on the first round by a 40-year-old Ryan Faber. Got caught, got knocked out, rebounded off that with a loss over Rob Font, which is no shame. Rob Font's a stud. The Marab fight was kind of murky waters, you know, whatever that referee is, you know, let's, let's not bring that up because we don't get ready to pop on here. But huh. this dude is legit. Like, his wrestling is, is good. His grappling is really good. He's so heavy on top. He smothered and outclassed Jack Shore on the ground. And Jack Shore is supposed to be the guy on the ground. And Simone's doing this by putting punches together. He's finally finding his hands. We're knocked out Rafael Asuncao, which is a good feather in his cap. And this guy legitimately could be, should be top five talent, in my opinion. He's going Song Yudong. You look good against Corey Sandhagen, which is a step behind. I think Simone, I know I know Song Yudong does have good takedown defense. He's training with Team Alpha Male. Team Alpha Male's prepared for Simone before. But I think this pace is too much for Simone. I love this number, two at minus 130. This is going to be a hammer spot for your boy. Uh, I'm not going to go too crazy. Because I'm down a little bit, but uh, I'm going to go an extra uni on Simone because we need okay. it, babe. We need it. And uh, I think he's a win by decision. Song's a tough dude, but I just think Simone's going to pull it out. I think he's better everywhere. Maybe lacks a little bit of a power, but give me Ricky Simone. All right. So, Brian Petrie, pretty bullish on Ricky Simone's chances. So, when my twin brother Jason calls my cell phone, the song that plays is, you know, you're as cold as ice, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Petrie better get hotter. We're going to have to. Uh... <laughs> Have that be your ringtone as well. That's my brother's like per- <laughs> my brother's perpetually frozen like Elsa when it comes to the sports book. So he's yes. always cold as ice. Uh, Ken Flo, co-main event. Who do you have? Kid? Oh man, I got excited. I thought he was going to go with Yudong there at the very end. But uh, yeah, no, I, I like Ricky Simone here as well. Uh, you know, here we are going the same freaking picks here. So I'm Smart sorry guys. about that. Smart but um, you know, Simone is um, he's a bad matchup for for Yudong. I, I think he takes him down. And um, I, I think he wins this fight uh, either by decision or by some kind of TKO. So um, Song is going to have issues with the grappling. Um, I think he's still he's going to be dangerous on the feet. I th- think uh, you know don't don't uh, sleep on him on, on the feet if this if Simone decides to stand up with him. But uh, I, I think Ricky takes him down and wins this one. By the way, this Anakin Florian podcast parlay that has been featured on DraftKings Sportsbook and a lot of people playing that and we really appreciate it. Even if it's a minimum wager, it means a lot. You guys mm-hmm. don't consult me at all. Like this would be one thing that maybe I could get in, get in on like sure. off the record behind the scenes. You guys don't consult me like at all. So, uh, <laughs> so what are we, what, what are we one for three on those parlays so far? Yes. Is that the deal? Yeah. Okay. But these are we long step up shot. Our game. Bets. These are these are long. These aren't like parlays. Yeah, no. yeah. I mean, we're we're giving them over plus four every time, four to one on your money yeah. and right. more. Yeah, yeah, these are long shot parlays. Yeah. But uh, that's neither uh, neither here nor there. All right, let's get into this main event, guys. So I was on Sergey Pavlovich's Wikipedia page this morning, and there's a section about ape index, Kenny. Basically, it's your height relative to your reach. So. That Sergey Pavlovich has like the best ape index of any UFC heavyweight. That he's six three, but his reach is eighty four inches, which is John Jones's reach. Yeah, mm-hmm. my twin brother actually measured our reach. He did it for us because we got the same reach. It's to yeah. say we got the same reach as DC, seventy two inches. So I think we got a pretty good ape <laughs> index based upon go. our height. There you go. But I thought it was kind of interesting that Pavlovich has this much reach on Curtis Blades, about four inches, and his hands are fast as hell. Betting line is Curtis Blades right now, minus 170 on DraftKings Sportsbook. Sergey Pavlovich, plus 145. Ken Flo Blades has won three in a row, seven out of eight. I think he might be the best heavyweight of all time to have never fought for the belt, right? I mean, when is mm-hmm. Curtis Blades going to realize a title fight? 
Pavlovich also closing in fast on a potential title fight of his own, Kenny. He's reeled off five straight wins since dropping his debut to Alistair Overeem back in 2018 in China. Huge spot for Pavlovich against Curtis Blades, who wins the heavyweight main event, Ken Flo. You're looking at a 74 and a half inch reach yeah. over here, hey. boys. I could touch you from here. Let's go. Um, all right, here we go. So, listen, um, this is an interesting fight, man. This is a very tricky one. I think Curtis Blades, uh, when he's on his game, man, watch out. I think um, he has been um, reinvigorated. Uh, he's obviously working on his overall skills. I think he's uh, dangerous on the feet. He's dangerous on the ground. Uh, if he puts you on your back, uh, good night. He's got great grounded pound um, and, uh, and and proving skills everywhere on the feet. So this is tricky. But uh, Pavlovich uh, is an absolute animal. Um, he really hasn't been challenged at this point. Um, and if I'm looking at it, I'm going, well, you know, striking, I don't think Curtis Blades wants to be there. Uh, is there anything in his grappling game? Does he have a grappling game? Like, yeah, he's got a wrestling background as well, and he's Russian. And, uh, you know, the Russians are, you know, traditionally the best wrestlers in the world year after year. It's either them or the Iranians or, or the Americans, you know. So they have that rich uh, wrestling culture. You know he's going to be preparing for that. Um, and, you know, you, you talk about his physical attributes, that reach, um, that power, that speed. I don't know, man. This could be a future champ, and I think this is a great measuring tool to see where he's at. Um, give me the Russian guy. Wow. Whoa. That was yeah. well executed, Ken Flo. And I would also point out that Sergey Pavlovich was the backup for John Jones and Cito Gan at UFC 285 in March. Oh, I didn't now, know that. Oftentimes, that doesn't mean everything, but it means something. It means yep. something. Yeah. And I don't know if Curtis Blades even got a phone call to be a backup, but Pavlovich was the guy, Bry, Billy Petrie, whatever your name is. Ken Flo <laughs> thinks that uh, that Pavlovich is going to cash this weekend. And yes. uh, we need a prediction from you. I like Ivan Drago over here at the plus money. That's a great number, but your boy needs to go opposite Ken Flo. So I got to go Blades. I have a thing in my notebook here that says quit fading Curtis Blades because that's all I seem to do and all he fucking does is win, right? He's got three losses, two to the same guy, once by Derek Lewis. The guy has a trouble dealing with power punches. However, Pavlovich, even though outside of UFC, he fought a lot of Sambo guys, a lot of good Russian wrestlers and handled them well. Alistair Overeem got him down with a kind of a, a Michael Bisming cheeky takedown, right? It wasn't the best takedown. Kind of got him down and then finished him on the mat. If Curtis Blaze can take him down and did what he did to Alistair Overeem, massacre him, butcher him on the ground, that's what I want to see. Blades is starting to feel himself. His hands look quick. I know we only got to see a little bit on the Tommy Aspinall fight, but he looked just super fast. And he said it best in Columbus when he fought Dawkins. He said, everyone thinks I'm going to wrestle. Now I'm going to start striking and mix it up. I think Pavlovich hasn't really fought anybody since over him that's willing or wanting to take him down. He gets all these first-round knockouts. What does he look like in the second round? What does he look like in the third round? A lot of guys haven't seen that yet. I think Curtis Blades is the guy to do that. Give me Blades. I also think Blades might be the hardest matchup for John Jones at heavyweight, considering the wrestling pedigree. Who's out-wrestled Curtis Blades? You know, John Jones is a big, strong dude. Maybe they won't take it there, but yeah, I want to see Curtis Blades get a title shot one of these days. The guy's putting work in. Uh, give me Blades, opposite flow, even though I like the number on the Russian. 
Yeah, if Curtis Blades beats Sergei Pavlovich and Tom Aspinall is closing fast, looks like maybe mm-hmm. July will be his return. But got to think Blades is going to find himself in a championship setting if uh, if he can get it done this weekend. All right, if you want more from Brian Petrie on Twitter at Brian Petrie MMA, also the MMA Takes podcast is his individual show. And I just would like to say in closing, on behalf of this Anakin Florian podcast family, I know it's been a heavy week for the Petrie clan. Yes. And, uh, Specifically, I just wanted to acknowledge your mother who has just dealt with a lot. And um, my yep. condolences to the family. We've been thinking about you and you're, uh, you're a real soldier for coming on with us today. So we appreciate well, of course. you, brother. No, I appreciate every single Anakin Florian listener who is now following me. I, I got a million uh, DMs and nice messages. And the three of you guys, Cody, Kenny, and John, all sending me nice messages. It means a lot. You know, this, this show is very important to me. You guys are important to me. I know it's so corny to say oh, it's like family because I've only really met John, uh, you know, twice. But this is this is family to me. I have a small family. I keep my inner circle small. So it feels really good uh, to have support uh, when, when stuff like this happens. And it uh, means the world to me, guys. I really appreciate it. My man. You'll always have All that right. support. All right, Brian Petrie, we'll talk I'll to you see next ya. week with us for the main event yeah, challenge. Buddy. And I would also acknowledge our producer, Cody Merrow, that keeps this Anakin Florian podcast family as tight-knit as it is communicating with Ray and with Petrie and alerting me and Kenny over the weekend to what had happened um, with Brian's sister. So I just wanted to acknowledge Cody uh, in closing as well. Uh, all right, AnakinFlorianPodcast.com is live. Merchandise can be had there. I don't know where you find those yo fucking later designs, but those are probably out there somewhere. One more sleep designs at millions.co, kennyflorianmartialarts.com if you want to follow everything that Ken Flo's got going on. And I just want to say as a little kicker on the way out, according to Henzo and Hoyler Gracie in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, the red belt is reserved for those whose influence and fame takes them to the pinnacle of the art. It is awarded in lieu of a ninth and 10th degree black belt. If a practitioner receives his or her black belt at 19, the earliest they could expect to receive a ninth degree red belt would be at the age of 67. So there you yep. go, Ken Flo. Amazing. All right. <laughs> All right. Thank you to our guests, Francis Marshall, Ray Longo, Brian Petrie. Our producer is Cody Merrow. We are back next Monday. We'll see if Sergey Pavlovich or Curtis Blades remains the heavyweight contender and also get you ready for another UFC fight night later in the month. Thank you all for listening, for watching. Tell your friends. Let's grow the show. For Ken Flo and John Anik, we will talk to you in less than seven days. Until then, yo, fuck you, mate. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckley SAB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.